0: The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org.
1: Well, when Dorothy clicked her heels in The Wizard of Oz and said, there's no place like home, I can agree with that one. Man, there's no place like home. So, thanks for your prayers. We're feeling stronger every day. Round two went a lot better than round one. Minimal side effects and uh, the doc said, best case scenario, we actually didn't expect to see any regression of disease, but he saw some of that, so we're grateful. We had the privilege to be in Israel for two weeks, prior to that leading a tour of uh, 47 of us from TBC mostly, and uh, God gave me a lot of grace, able to stay in front of the group and uh, lead that charge about five miles a day, so what a blessing. So it's a little warm in here, uh, we want to check the thermostats and make sure we've got... Uh, things going right. I appreciate that, whoever's back there. So, John chapter 9. I'm also very grateful to be able to leave town for three weeks and know that uh, TBC is in the hands of capable leaders. What a blessing. What a blessing. So, staff, elders, deacons, uh, those who've taught, man, what a blessing to be able to do that, to, to get treated and uh, not to have that worry. So, uh, I am so grateful. We're blessed beyond belief. Every day's a gift. Today's a gift. Uh, the gift of today, and we're going to enjoy today. Amen? So that, that's our family motto these days, and that's how we are living. John chapter 9. John chapter 9. We're in the middle of a series studying the gospel of John together. So if you have your Bible or your phones with an app on it, you might want to turn them on or open them up to John chapter 9. Beginning in verse 1, it says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And the disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, whose sin, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? And Jesus answered and said, it was neither he, the man, that sinned, nor his parents. But it is in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. Father, we have worshipped in song, and now we ask you to teach us through your word. Spirit of God, you tell us that you guide us into all truth. Would you guide us into truth this morning? Transform our hearts, so we might look more like the Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Born blind. Let that sink in for a minute. Born blind. In fact, let's do this. Every one of us, let's close our eyes. Just close your eyes for a minute. You see darkness. This is a man who'd never seen a sunset. This is a man who didn't know the difference between pink or purple. This is a man who grew up not far from the shores of the Mediterranean where one day perhaps he went and he could hear the waves crashing, but no idea what the surf looked like. This a man who walked hundreds and hundreds up and down steps in Jerusalem because it's filled with steps. Not knowing what the next one held. Born blind. Never seen the face of his mother or father, siblings. He heard the voices of those around him who came by when he begged and perhaps dropped a few shekels in his basket but he'd never seen their faces, born blind. You can open your eyes now. I just closed my left one because I can't see out the right one anyway. Uh, so <laughs> I was looking at you. Um, his eyes were opened and he could see. We're going to get to that in a second, but more importantly, his heart was opened and he could see. Helen Keller, who lived her life in blindness, wrote these words, there's something worse than being blind. It's having sight and not being able to see. There's something worse than being born blind. It's having sight and not being able to see. And that's what John 9 all about. In fact, I've entitled this message, Seeing. If you look on the top of your outline, it's called Seeing, because it's really about sight. It's really about somebody who's able to see, and not just with his eyes, but with his heart eventually. And it's also about people who are blind who actually had sight. And so there's this interesting interplay that we're going to look at when we study John chapter nine together. It begins, uh, it's really the story of the healing of a blind man, but it's much more than that. Verses one through five are the revelation of what this chapter is about. The the blind man is really not the focus of this passage. In fact, if you look at your Bibles, he does not even speak until verse nine. I mean, he's not the focus. Jesus is the focus. Christ is the focus. Verse nine is the first time he speaks. It's interesting. It says uh, in verse one, as he passed by, that as Jesus passed by, he saw a man born blind. There's no mention of this man crying out to Jesus. In other passages, we see a guy like Bartimaeus screaming out, "Uh, Jesus, our son of David, have mercy on him. We see other blind people who Jesus healed calling out for him, knowing the savior was there. But in this situation, it's all taken by the Jesus is the one who takes the initiative. It's all about Jesus reaching out to him, by the way, the same thing that he does with us. It's apparent that Jesus took notice of the blind man and he used it as a moment to instruct his disciples because they asked the question in verse 2 that reflected the theology of that day and quite frankly reflects the theology of many in this day. If there's sickness, somebody sinned. If there's suffering, somebody sinned. If there's calamity, somebody sinned. If the crops are failing, somebody sinned. If there's a prodigal, somebody sinned. If there's a crying, colicky baby, the parents are about to sin. I mean, basically the teaching of that day was there's a cause and there's an effect. If sin, is the, if sin is the cause, the effect is some type of suffering. And if you're living your life the way you should by faith, then there's going to be blessing. And so that was the theology of that day. And by the way, that's the theology of many today as well. And Jesus is going to correct that false theology. Jesus is saying there's not this one-to-one correspondence of this happening because that happening. Now, can suffering, calamity, sickness, and disease be the result of sin? Absolutely. We know that. Absolutely can happen. A drunk driver hits somebody and they they hits a car filled with innocent people and people die or they're maimed. Uh, We recognize it was sin that caused that calamity. We could look at any number of examples of that, but we recognize that sin certainly can cause great calamity, can cause suffering. But Jesus is saying, it's not this one-to-one correspondent. It's not the cause and effect all the time. Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he should be born blind? And so the idea was, if he's blind, somebody caused it. Somebody sinned. Jesus corrects the theology in verse 3. and He says, uh, neither one. This man didn't sin. His parents didn't sin. But this man is in this situation that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, he's talking about the work that he's going to do. But I would submit to you, that's true for all of us. Regardless of the circumstance we are in in life, we have an opportunity to give to God, uh, to give glory to God. Regardless of circumstance, Jesus clarifies the issue here. And I believe what he says is very profound because, regardless of our circumstance, we should give glory to God. Maybe you're here today and you're suffering. Maybe you're suffering the loss of a loved one. Maybe you're suffering the loss of a friendship. Maybe the loss of a dream. Maybe the loss of health. We can still give God glory in the midst of that. Amen? I mean, our family verse through this uh, season in our life has been Habakkuk 3:17 and 18. Though the fig tree should not blossom, there be no fruit in the vines. The yield of the olive should fail. The fields produce no food. The flock be cut off from the fold. there be no cattle in the stalls. The worst case scenario, and Habakkuk responds yet, I will exalt in the Lord my God. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Even in the most dire situation, we can give glory to God. The opposite is true as well. And honestly, I think it's harder. If you're being blessed, and I look around this audience and many of us are blessed in so many ways. When we're being blessed, our family's being blessed, our marriage is being blessed, you're blessed with a birth, you're blessed with a graduation, we've had all these graduations in the last weeks, blessed with a job, blessed with being on a winning team or winning a championship or blessed by, you name it, whatever it is, we should give glory to God. Francis Chan wrote a book called Crazy Love. How many of you read Crazy Love? Great book. If you haven't read it, you need to pick it up. Crazy Love, Francis Chan, C-H-A-N. In it, he says this. He says, frankly, you need to get over yourself. That may sound harsh, but I'm serious. Maybe life's been pretty good for you. Maybe it's good for you right now. God has given you all this good stuff so that you can show the world what a person who enjoys his blessings looks like when they're totally obsessed with God and experience blessing. Hey, you're blessed right now. You give glory to God. Problem is, sometimes a blessing leads to us puffing up our own nothingness is what happens. And he goes on and he says this, or maybe your life is tough right now. Everything feels like a struggle. God has allowed difficult times in your life so you can show the world that your God is great and knowing that peace and joy can happen even when life is hard. So Chan says, to be brutally honest with you, it doesn't really matter what place you find yourself in right now. The point of your life is to point people to him. Whatever you're doing, God wants to be glorified, whether it's difficult times or great times. My friends, we don't have an image to maintain. We have a God to glorify. In our world, when I look around, a lot of people are trying to maintain these images. That's not what life is about for those of us that name the name of Christ. What life is about is giving glory to him in the midst of all that's happening. Amen? I mean, that's what we're to be about. Whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance, we are to reflect him. A number of years ago, I was uh, walking our dog. Uh, we had a little schnauzer, about this big. Barking gerbil is what she was like. And uh, her tongue was bigger than her body. And, uh, but, but Cuddles was our dog. So I'm kind of a manly guy and a big guy. And so I take Cuddles walking at night so nobody can see me. <laughs> big dude, little dog. So I'd walk at night and uh, I would be walking. Cuddles would be hunting cats. We had a great time together. No, not really. So I'm walking cuddles one night, and I'll never forget this. The the moon was full, and the moon was so bright, and I looked down, and there was a shadow. I mean, that doesn't happen too often, does it? You're walking out, and because of the full moon, you cast a shadow. We expect that from the sun, but not the moon. And I started thinking, I thought, you know, it's pretty interesting. The moon creates no light in itself. All the moon does is reflect the light of the what? Of the sun. And I thought, that's it, isn't it? My purpose in life is to be like the moon, to reflect, to reflect the shining sun, S O N, so that people might see a glimpse of who he is through me. And so he's saying, this man didn't sin, his parents didn't sin, this happened so God might be glorified. So this man is born blind. Now, I don't know a lot about blindness, but we have a number of folks here that do, and one of those is my dear friend Kenny Lau. Kenny, where are you? Would you welcome Kenny Lau, fellow TBC'er, uh, who's going to join me on the stage right now, Kenny? A number of years ago, Danny Cunningham and I were teaching a homiletics class, and at the end of that homiletics class, that's a preaching class, uh, everybody in that class had to put together sermons. So uh, we did it a few semesters, and Kenny was in one of those classes, and uh, we, we let him choose whatever passage they want, and Kenny chose John chapter 9. And he did a phenomenal job with that. And I tucked away in the recesses of my mind, uh, which are not too great, by the way, uh, but tucked him back there anyway, that if I ever talk through John 9, I'm going to call on Kenny to come and help me. So uh, thank you, brother. We have met and we've exchanged correspondence, met at our house yesterday, and uh, talked about this. So first of all, tell him, tell him what you do.
0: So I'm, I'm known as a neuro-ophthalmologist. And eyeballs... Plug into the brain, and so basically, I deal with ocular disorders, eye disorders, and the relationship to the brain.
1: Neuro So, you said you didn't even know that wasn't resonant, or but when you started when down I first the first
0: path started, path. I didn't know. And uh,
1: but you a, know what it is now, right?
0: There aren't many of us, but uh, yes, uh, uh, know Good. a little bit more. So,
1: so I, we're talking about. I mean, we're talking about a subspecialty that not many of us uh, know much about, uh, honestly. So. Um, you chose this passage because you're you're a neuro-ophthalmologist. Tell tell us why. You said this was just a great case study for you. As a
0: neuro-ophthalmologist, this case in particular, as an ophthalmologist, stories in the Bible that involve blindness or inability to see have always intrigued me. You know, in the Old Testament, we have the patriarch Isaac whose vision went dim, so dim that he couldn't tell Jacob apart from Esau, and we know what happened there, we, in the New Testament, we have Saul who uh, went blind during his conversion experience on the road to Damascus for three days, and then when he was he- healed, something like scales from, you know, fell from his eyes, and as an ophthalmologist, I'm thinking, oh boy, scales, what, what could that be, and I've got my differential diagnosis, and I'm just thinking, wow, that's, that's really neat, and we have multiple accounts through the Gospels of Jesus healing blind person after blind person. Um,
1: In fact, in your sermon, you brought out the point that the single most recorded miracle in the Gospels by Jesus is the healing of blind people.
0: And this one in particular is interesting. In John chapter 9, you know, in my Bible, the, the title is Jesus Heals a Man Born Blind. Not Jesus Heals a Blind Man, but Jesus Heals a Man Born Blind. And And it's really hard to overlook that because he was born blind. Another way to title it might be Jesus heals a man with congenital blank, congenital cataracts, congenital glaucoma. Who knows what he had, but most likely he had some congenital deformity. And like I said earlier, the eyes plug into the brain. And for normal visual, visual development to occur after birth, you need to have healthy eyes, send light signals into your brain, and the developing brain during the first few months to years of life, there's a lot of pruning and rewiring that needs to occur for the brain to develop and hardwire in good vision. And so vision just doesn't mean having good eyeballs, but having a brain, a mind that's capable of sight. And if this man who was born blind truly was blind from birth, not only does he have eyes that can 't see, he has a mind that is incapable of sight. therefore, this is one of the most remarkable neuroophthalmic case reports in history
1: hmm. Pretty amazing when you think about it from the perspective of an ophthalmologist in it or especially a guy in, his, in what he does i mean i 'm um, not even sure I can spell all that but but, but you're right, Kenny. I mean, when we look at this, we see God doing that. And really, you and I talked about the context of this miracle. And it's really, in Bob Weber preached last week. Uh, Bob is one of our elders, a hand surgeon, if you weren't here last week. And in John chapter 8, verse 12, uh, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Now, I want you to drop down to verse 5. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus is weaving a tapestry uh, to say, not only do I proclaim it in John chapter 8, I'm going to prove it in John chapter 9 not only am I saying I'm the light of the world, I'm going to do a miracle to prove I'm the light of the world. And and really, it's a shame in some ways there's a chapter break here and there, because uh, this is really a a tale that goes on. We don't know what kind of time has passed between that, but the light of the world now proves that he is indeed going to do what only the Messiah could do, and that is to bring light. He, He relates this passage to the previous context. By the way, part of the mission of the Messiah, we're going to read some verses of Isaiah in a little while. It says in Isaiah four different times that the Messiah would give sight to blind people. Well, when this miracle takes place, it's pretty interesting what happens. It says in verse 6, Jesus when he had said this, Jesus spat on the ground, made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes. And he told the man, "Go wash in the pool of Siloam," which is translated "sent." And so he went away and he washed and he came back seeing. So, you know, we read this like an everyday occurrence because we're familiar with the scriptures and what took place here. But this is more than an everyday occurrence. I doubt if you've uh, spit in anybody's eyes in your office. Uh, it's it's not might... FDA approved. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so that's not going to happen. I mean, I read one guy say that he spit and made not silly putty, but holy putty and put in the guy's eyes. So, um, so but, but it's an amazing thing. First question you got to ask is, why did Jesus do it this way? I mean, Jesus could have just touched him right and healed him. I mean, Jesus had the power to do anything. He could have done it from a distance, could have done that. But some scholars say, well, he did it to see if the man had faith. But if you look here, there's no mention of faith anywhere. Um, would the man go and wash? Some say perhaps as a display of faith. I I don't think that's it. Some would say blood and saliva were seen as curative in some of the early cultures, you know, that blood potions and saliva packs. And so maybe it was Jesus using the medicinal forms of that day just to prove that he's greater than even those things. But uh, in your sermon, Kenny, you talked about uh, something that a lot of commentators would agree with, and that's why Jesus actually made the mud and put in the guy's eyes. Why don't you share that with us?
0: It is very interesting the therapy Jesus chose to use in order to heal this man. In other accounts, like you said, he, he would touch them or he would say, go, you've been healed because of your faith. In this case, he made something. Jesus knew it was the Sabbath. And we also know that Jesus did not like the way the Pharisees would elevate their ritual observances, their own man-made Sabbath laws, above human need. And Jesus spit on the ground, rolled it around, made clay, anointed and healed the man and violated several of those Sabbath laws. So I think Jesus, in essence, was challenging these Pharisees, calling them out about their own adherence to their own Sabbath laws.
1: And it was really their traditions. It wasn't a Mosaic law he was violating, but their traditions. In fact, I agree with that. If you look down at verse 14, my friends, it says it was on a Sabbath. That Jesus made the clay and opened the eyes. Text brings that out. I mean, the issue here is the whole Sabbath debate, right? So there's a Mosaic law that spells out what should happen on the Sabbath. But the Jewish people wanted teeth. They wanted more of that. They wanted uh, more legalism, if you will. The leaders did. They wanted to spell all that out. And so they had laws against plowing, laws against anointing. So spittle rolled in the dirt would be plowing, and you bring that out. And uh, he would knead if you're taking the clay and putting it together. And so these would be violations, not of the Old Testament law, but of the Pharisaic traditions. We were just in Israel and uh, we were there on Sabbath, which is what they call Shabbat. And uh, I hopped on an elevator and went to hit the buttons and none of them, but they were all lit up already. And so the elevator starts going up and I realize I'm on a Shabbat elevator. You see, for the Jewish people to hit a button is work. And so on the Sabbath, you get on an elevator and it stops at every floor. You don't have to hit a button. That way they don't have to work. The downside of that is when you have breakfast in the morning, the way you get cappuccino is pushing a button on a machine. So guess what happens on Shabbat, even in the hotels we're in? No cappuccino. That's a bad day. <laughs> but th- that's the legalism still today. The very thing that Kenny pointed out is the same battle that was happening. So, so this man is healed. And, you know, we read that with, a, with casualness almost. Think about it. For the, he went to the Pool of We were at the Pool of Siloam just two weeks ago. I mean, for the first time, perhaps he saw water. Well, not perhaps, it's the first time he saw water. Maybe he saw his own reflection. It would be the first time he saw his own face if that happened. Maybe he looked at the sky and he didn't know what blue was. He didn't know the difference between pink and purple. But for the first time, he sees. And uh, one of the authors I read said, this is the greatest understatement in the Bible. Look, look, look at what it says here. It says, at the end of verse 7, it says, so he went away, he washed, and he came back seeing really? I mean, don't you think that dude was jumping up and down and screaming and hollering? Wouldn't you hope that other people around him would do the same thing? But one of the great miracles is not just him receiving sight, but you bring out. Um, it's much more than that.
0: This miracle is enormously complex, as most miracles probably are. This man was born blind. So not only did he have an ocular deformity, he had a brain that's incapable of sight. Those visual pathways never developed, or it, they were immature at best. He does not have the ability to discern shapes, colors, recognize faces, read. The, you know, In the eye clinic, we, our attempt is to restore vision, and we do that every day, whether it's by glasses, taking out a cataract, treating uh, retinal diseases, But they have normal brains that once we restore the eye problem their brain can process the visual stimuli again. This man, not so much. Not only did you have to fix what happened in the eyes, you had to completely transform his mind Hmm. which was previously incapable of sight. Therefore that's something we cannot do. We have no way to rewire brains and, and, and do what was so enormously complex here. You make a
1: statement in the message you put together. Kenny's been able to preach this message a few other places as an ophthalmologist, not just in the class here. And you, you make this statement, the miracle of the Lord's healing was not just fixing the eyes, but transforming his mind. And that's what you just talked about. I mean, it'd be so unnatural. All of a sudden, he's seeing things for the first time. He has no idea what they are. And so the miracle is a twofold miracle. It's a healing of the eyes, but a healing of the mind as well. After that, it's quite interesting. I mean, you expect the reaction. I read the reactions here, and I want to shake my head. The first reaction is the reaction of his neighbors. Look at verse 8. The neighbors, therefore, and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, is not this the one who used to sit and beg? And others are saying, this is he. And others are saying, no, it's somebody that looks like him. He kept saying, by the way, it's present tense, over and over, he kept saying, I am the one, I am the one, I am the one, I am the one. Remember when you were a kid, the adults are having a conversation, you wanted to interject something and nobody would listen to you? That's what's happening here. They're talking about him, but nobody's talking to him. And so what they decide, therefore, they were saying, how are your eyes open? And he said, the man called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes, told me to go wash in Siloam. So I went away, I washed, I received sight. And they said, where is, it? Where, where is this man? And he says, I have no idea. I mean, don't you think these neighbors, I, I would like to think if I had a congenital disease that was described by, by Kenny, that if I was healed, my son's a type one diabetic. If Daniel called us today and said, dad, you're not going to believe what happened. I've been healed. I'm on the, we, Bev and I are in the car at 1215 when this service is over and we're going to Houston and we're going to go to the best place that they, wherever they want to eat. And we're going to celebrate and we're going to give God glory to anybody that wants to listen, but they're having a debate. I like what one author says. He says this, he says, uh, these folks don't celebrate, they debate. They, they've watched this young man grope and trip since he was a kid. You'd think they would rejoice, but they don't. They march him down to the church, actually, synagogue, to have him kosher tested. When the Pharisees ask for an explanation, uh, the, 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 I can't, now I've got, uh, you read it for me, Kenny, you get it?
0: When the Pharisees
1: ask for an explanation, the was blind beggar says, he applied clay to my eyes, and I washed, and I see. I mean, the neighbors don't celebrate; they debate. the gasp, yank it on them like a kid yanking on adults. I am he, I am he, but they don't listen to him, so the interrogation goes on. You look at all these reactions. Next, uh, they, they brought the Pharisees to, or brought to the Pharisees, the one who was formerly blind. Verse thirteen, and the Pharisees ask him. This is verse fifteen, and they said, "What happened?" And they said, "He put "I." This is the fourth time he says it. He applied clay to my eyes. I washed and I see. I mean, he's getting tired of saying that by now, don't you think? He says, all I can tell you, I'm looking at you guys. I'm looking at you. Therefore, some of them said, this man can't be from God because he didn't keep the Sabbath. They're more worried about the day of the week than they are celebrating a man who'd been blind from birth and can now see. Isn't that crazy? Their traditions blinded them. And I've got to stop and ask a question, what blinds us? what blinds us? What blinds you? What blinds me? What traditions do I hang on to and say, God can't do that? So they therefore said to him, verse 17, what, what do you say about him who opened your eyes? I, he says he's a prophet. And the Jews therefore didn't believe of him that he'd been born blind. So they called his parents in. Now, his parents ought to be, if anybody should be celebrating, don't you think mom and dad would be celebrating? Don't you think they'd be saying, "Yeah, this is my boy. He was blind and now he can see and we're going home to kill the fatted calf." Look at what happens though. So they questioned them, verse 19, "Is this your son that is born blind? How does he see now?" And his parents said verse 20, "We know that our son this is our son. He was born blind, but now he sees. We don't know how it happened. We don't know who opened his eyes." Ask him, he's of age, he shall speak for himself. Rather than celebrating, verse 22 says, "They said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews said that if anybody agreed that Jesus was the Christ, he'd be excommunicated from the synagogue for this reason they said he's of age. Now, getting kicked out of the synagogue is a big deal. You couldn't worship with your people anymore. You're probably ostracized in your business. You're removed from your family. But are you going to celebrate the fact that your blind son now sees, or are you going to fear? What are you going to do? And I tell you, my heart, I, I don't know the blind man at all. But I can't imagine what he, has to feel, what he has to feel. His neighbors don't stick up for him. Mom and dad don't stick up for him. So they call him in next. Verse 24. Second time they called him. Give glory to God. We know this man's got to be a sinner. So he answered and said, well, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But I can tell you, when I was, where I was one blind, now I see. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, it's circled and underlined in my Bible. I love that. I can't tell you who he is. I can't tell if he's a sinner or not. There's a song that says, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. You know, it talks about a sinner being set free. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but what? Now I see. That's God's amazing grace. So the theologians they turn to this guy and say, uh, "So who is he?" I, say, I don't know. So they said to him, verse twenty-six: "What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes?" He's already told him a bunch of times, right? So I love the sarcasm in verse twenty-seven. I told you already. You're not. Li- Nobody wants to listen to this poor guy. You don't listen to me. His neighbors didn't listen to him. The Pharisees don't listen to him. He says. Uh, You don't want to become one of his disciples, do you? (laughs) Man, he is just, I mean, that is laced with sarcasm. And they reviled him and said, you're a disciple of his, we're a disciple of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but it's for this man, we don't know where he's from. And the man answered and said, well, here's an amazing thing that you do not know where he's from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. He says, I can't tell you who he is, but only a man sent by God can open the eyes of a blind man. And that's me. That's me. And it's amazing what's unfolded here. This man born blind sees, but the seeing people are blind. I think there's a disease for that too, isn't there? When uh, there's light and you can't see, why don't you explain that to us?
0: So there is a condition called uh, hemeralopia. It's from the Greek hemera, who's the Greek goddess of the day. And hemeralopia is a condition where you have an aversion to the light. You actually don't see as well when it's bright outside or when there's light outside, and you prefer the darkness. The opposite of that would be light, night blindness, nyctalopia, where um,
1: you guys are writing those words down, right? You got them.
0: <laughs> where, where you see, you know, you see better obviously during the day, but not at night. Well, with hemeralopia, um, sometimes they it can be. Uh, involved with retinal disorders where you don't have cones so you can't process the light as well and so you prefer to remain in the darkness and the pharisees here appear to have a form of hemeralopia, that due to their own pride they can't see clearly in the presence of the light of the world
1: it's amazing and the message you put together kenny you brought that out you said uh, the pharisees unwilling to examine their past unwilling to examine the laws they're standing in front of the true light, and they're blinded. And uh, what a tragedy. What a tragedy. The light of the world is there, and they have this disease that's spoken of in Second Corinthians, actually. And in 2 Corinthians, um, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he talks about this particular disease. He says, uh, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those perishing." In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. So that's a spiritual blindness. Helen Keller. What's worse than being born blind? Having sight and not being able to see. And that's what this is about. And the way this story ends are the responses of two different groups. In verses 35 and following, they, actually look at the end of verse 34. They look at him and said, you were born entirely in sins and you're trying to teach us? Well, they're the ones asking the questions. So what did they do? They excommunicated and put him out of the temple. Jesus heard what happened that they put him out. I want you to stop there for a second. Jesus looks for the hurting. This man's all alone. It should have been the most marvelous day of his life. He can see and nobody stands up for him. Not his neighbors, not his parents, not the Jewish leaders, but Jesus goes looking for him. And that's what he does for us. Jesus initiated this, and just as he looked for him, he looks for us. And so there's spiritual healing. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Jesus asked him and he said, Who is he, Lord, And I, I'll, I, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said, You've both seen him and you're talking to him. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he began to worship him. And so one response is a response of worship. And then verse 40, Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said, We're not blind too, are we? Don't even recognize their own blindness. So the two responses... Are the response of spiritual blindness and the response of spiritual healing. Three quick applications and we'll conclude. Application, first of all, Jesus is the light of the world, He gives sight to the blind. Application number one in John chapter 20, we see the purpose of John's gospel. We've looked at this over and over in our study of John's gospel. And it says, in John chapter 20, many other signs Jesus performed, not written in this book, but I've written these in order that you may believe that Jesus is the Christos, the Messiah, the Son of God, and believing you may have life in his name. John says, I recorded these miracles specifically to prove who the Messiah is. And so the reason that Jesus performed this miracle is to prove that he is the light of the world who he claimed to be in John chapter 8. He is the Christos, the Messiah. In fact, there are four places in in Isaiah And uh, you want to read those to us, Kenny, where it describes whoever the Messiah would be. Now, Isaiah is written many centuries before Christ. Whoever Messiah is going to be, he's going to bring light to a dark world. Isaiah 9-2,
0: the prophet Isaiah writes, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined.
1: So light's going to be brought by the Messiah.
0: And then in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 18. In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind
1: shall see. So one of the marks of the Messiah is that on his mission, the deaf will hear and the eyes will see. Remember when John the Baptist was in prison and he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the Messiah? What did he say? Tell John, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the blind see. I'm doing the works of the Messiah. Isaiah 35, 5.
0: Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped.
1: And even the next verse, the lame will leap like a deer. The same thing that Jesus told the disciples of John the Baptist. And finally, Isaiah 42.
0: I am the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those
1: who sit in darkness. So application number one, Jesus is the proclaimed Messiah. He did the works that only Messiah can do. Application number two, When this man recognized who Jesus was, he said, I believe, and he worshiped him. When we recognize who Jesus is, we worship him. Application number three. The man born blind is in this room today. He's in this room today. She's in this room today. It's the person who's heard of the light of the world today but has yet to respond. And so you've got a choice to make. You can be like that blind man who says, I believe. Or you can be like those Pharisees who ignored the light and continue to walk in blindness. Worship team, would you guys join us? And so this morning as we conclude We recognize Jesus indeed is the light of the world who gives sight to the blind. And the way I'd like to conclude is giving you an opportunity to respond to the one who's the light of the world. If you're not sure if Jesus Christ is your Savior, I invite you to come down here with me. I'll be on my knees down here. And you give your life to Christ for the first time, accepting him as the light of the world who removes sins. Some of you, the light has been made clear to you today don't remain spiritually blind. For some of you, it's a matter of worship. You recognize maybe you've been blessed in great ways, but you've not been given glory to God, or maybe in the midst of suffering, not giving glory to God. This is a great day. Just come get on your knees and give glory to God, whatever it might be. For the last uh, month, I've had a favorite song, and it's called All Hail King Jesus. I heard it for the first time at Easter when Mark introduced us to it. We've only sang it one other time. And uh, if it's been in my back patio or in Israel or in a hospital bed in England, I started every day listening to this song because it talks about a Savior who went to a tomb dead, came out alive, and He is the light of the world and the one who we give our hearts and lives to.